God's people said. Amen. Amen. As you're uh, getting your Bibles out, uh, we're going to end up in Ephesians at some point in all this, but we're also going to be in 2 Corinthians, and they're close, so uh, you can find those pretty quickly. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in Psalm 77, where is Christ in my pain? Where is Christ in my pain? We're in the second message of a series on the battle for the mind. And there is a battle going on for control of your mind, your, your thinking, your processing, your decision-making. And we need to always be alert to that battle. We need to be prepared and alert to the attacks that come on our mind, the, the times when we get blindsided. A uh, number of years ago, Jimmy Fields was our head football coach at Sherwood. He's also been the head football coach at Deerfield. And Jimmy played college football at uh, Ole Miss and uh, played under Billy Brewer. And so a number of years ago, uh, several of us went to Ole Miss during basketball season. And, and uh, Jimmy got to eat breakfast, uh, Jimmy and I and Frank Griffin and and uh, Jay Flint got to eat breakfast with uh, Coach Brewer and Coach Youngblood. Now, Coach Youngblood was, was Jimmy's coach, and he was about as tough as nails, garlic, and vinegar all combined. And so Jimmy got in on special teams, and he's in on a kickoff. And he said, you know, I'm in position. He said, I'm running. I see the guy get the ball, and as I'm looking, there is nobody between me and the guy with the ball. And he said, we're playing Vanderbilt, and I've got an open shot. I mean, there's nobody. I'm just, and I'm running, and I'm just dogging it. I'm just getting there as quick as I can. And we're actually out on the football field, and he says, walk over here to this spot right here, Michael. He said, right here is where he hit me. I said, what happened, Jimmy? He said, I was going for him, and he said, I never saw the guy coming from my blind side. And he hit me, knocked me down, knocked me out. He said, when I finally came to, he said, Coach Youngblood was looking at me going, Fields? Vanderbilt? Really? Vanderbilt knocked you out? Really? He said, I never forgot that moment. <laughs> Let me ask you something. What knocked you out or knocked you down that you didn't see coming? What was it that the devil caught you on a blind side and you did not see it coming? You didn't see what he was doing. And one of the ways he does that, he gets us to dilute our thinking about the truth of the Word of God. He, he gets us to say things like this. Well, the times are different. Hey, the devil's not any different than he's always been. And the Word's not any different than it's always been. Or we'll say, well, we need to be more tolerant. Or we... We, we, we don't need to do that. That's legalism. Listen, the truth of the Word of God is not legalistic. The truth, Jesus said, sets us free. Now, when we add stuff that makes us feel better, that becomes legalism. But when it's a truth of God's Word, it's not. So Paul writes about the devil in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11, and he warns us. He warns them. Remember, Corinth was a tough church. 
I mean, they, they had their ideas about what spirituality was. They had their ideas about what truth was. And they played around the edges with sin an awful lot. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The danger is that, that the same devil that tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 is still active. And he wants to blindside us. He wants to get us off track. He wants to get us to think in wrong ways. And Paul is writing to these Corinthians who are carnal or fleshly, and he's reminding them of the way that the devil works. And he mentions three specific things in 2 Corinthians. First of all, he will attack the conscience, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He will attack the conscience. He will work on you with guilt, with fear. He will work on you. He'll attack the conscience. Secondly, he will blind the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. If he can get unbelievers to believe that there is no truth and there are no absolutes, then, and that Jesus is not the only way, then he's got them. He will blind the minds of unbelievers that even if they hear, they don't really hear. Even if they see, they don't really see. And he will beguile the minds of believers. That's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. He will beguile the minds of believers. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He operates in half-truths and in false doctrines, but he has... No new strategies. That, that's one of the things that amazes me that here we are over 2,000 years since the time of Christ and we, we think that somehow what God said 2,000 years ago, what Jesus said and how he dealt with temptation, what the Word says is not applicable today. And yet the Word of God is clear from Genesis, the same thing he did in Genesis, he gets us to do. First of all, in Genesis, Satan questioned God's will. Has God said? He questioned God's will and God's word. Has God said? And that's where you see, and I, and I can see Christians that get off here. Well, did God really mean that when he said it? Uh-huh. He did. Did he mean it up until now? You know, when, like when the Bible says flee sexual immorality, it doesn't say flee sexual immorality until it becomes politically correct to believe anything about sex. Flee means flee. He didn't say that's true, there's nowhere in the margin of your Bible until 2019 and then do whatever you want to do. You see, he questions God's word. Has God really said this? He denied God's word. You won't die. Now, whether we like to think about it or not, every one of us in this room is going to die. Not everybody lives to be old. Somebody in this room may die this week. You know, we don't think about it. We put it out of our minds. That's why we don't buy life insurance policies because if we get a life insurance policy, that means we're going to die. You're going to die anyway. And we don't talk about it. 
I mean, you, you try to get people to talk about, are you prepared for the day when you're going to die and you're going to cease to exist in this world? I don't want to talk about that right now. It's going to happen. You won't die. What happened when they ate of the fruit? Death entered in. It was not God's plan, and death entered in. He lies to us. You will be as God's. You will be as God's. There, listen, the celebrity world and, and the lifestyle of the rich and famous world, uh, that if you got them to be honest, they think they're God's. They think they're God's. H have you ever noticed that today's celebrity is, is 10 years from now, whatever happened to? You'll be as God's. Those are lies of the devil. They began in Genesis. They still go on. And the devil's goal is to deceive and destroy and to kill our testimony as believers. And so he plants thoughts and images and, and tells us things about God that are not true. Well, God doesn't love you and God doesn't care. Or God wouldn't let you go through that. Or God wouldn't let you do this. And, and God doesn't, God's strict and he's unkind and he, he's unloving. And he starts telling you all these things about God that are not true about God. And if you're not in the word and the word is not in you, you start thinking, hmm, Maybe that's right. So before long, you'll logically, or illogically really, say things like, there's nothing wrong with fill in the blank. When God's Word specifically says there's something wrong with that. Or, or you'll start saying, well, we ought to be more open-minded. Now let me tell you, we ought to love every sinner we meet, but we should not water down the fact that their sin is going to lead them to hell. Love the sinner, hate the sin. We ought to be more open-minded. I tell you, I'm about as open-minded as I can be right now. If we add one more letter to the group of people that we're supposed to be open-minded to, we're going to have the whole alphabet. Listen, I love people wherever they are and whatever they're doing and how deep in sin they are because they have been blinded by the devil. But it doesn't mean I love and applaud the sin that they are committing or turn my head to it and ignore it because I might make somebody mad by doing that. Listen, truth is truth. But what does the devil do? He plants seeds and then he waits for fruit. He plants seeds into our minds, and then he waits for fruit. It's the law of sowing and reaping from the devil's side. In other words, there's a cumulative effect to wrong thinking. You just don't have a wrong thought, and then that stops there. It leads to another wrong thought, and another wrong thought, and another wrong thought. And before you know it, all you're thinking is wrong thoughts. And all you're thinking is, you know, well, that's... Not what I want to do. And the devil has gotten his way. Sometimes he diverts our minds through confusion, through doubt, through fear. We swing on extremes. We talked about that in the last message, that we can go from intellectualism and just arguing our knowledge about the Bible, or we go to emotionalism and just looking for somebody to give us a high. But too many times, our minds are like shifting sand, not like we're standing on the solid rock of God's Word. And feelings begin to override the facts. And if you aren't careful, you're going to buy this lie of the world. 
The only absolute is that there are no absolutes, and I'm absolutely sure that there are no absolutes. But there are absolutes. There are absolutes. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? There are absolutes. I mean, the Word of God is not written in gray areas. God says, don't do this. God says, do this. He has absolutes. One of his absolutes that the world would like to ignore as much as any is there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There are not many ways. There's one way. Doesn't matter what denomination somebody's a part of, the only way anybody's going to get to heaven is through Jesus. You're not going to get to heaven because you're a Baptist. You're not going to get to heaven because you're a Methodist or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or anything. You're going to get to heaven one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And when the devil starts saying, well, you're a good person. Nobody should say anything about you. God's word says our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We can't be good enough to get to God. In this mindless society, we have forgotten that ideas have consequences. No matter what area it's in. Whether it's politics or education or the church, ideas have consequences. What we think, we act on. Now, one of the best books that I think has been written in the last 50 years is a, is a book by Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And he wrote a book over 50 years ago, and if you think about the things that he dealt with in that book 50 years ago and where we are today because we didn't pay attention to what he said 50 years ago. These are the things he dealt with. Economic uncertainty, extreme poverty, violence, materialism, relativism, totalitarianism, and socialism. Now, Francis Schaeffer's book is entitled, How Should We Then Live? How should we then live? In light of all these things... How should we then live? And it's based on a verse in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 33, where Ezekiel is writing to the Israelites who have turned to idols and accepted moral relativism and worshipped idols and compromised their faith. Here's the verse he built it off of. This is from the King James. Ezekiel 33.10, Thus ye speak saying, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, how should we then live? New American reads this way. Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? The message paraphrases it. Our rebellious Rebellions and sins are weighing us down. We're wasting away. How can we go on living? The complete Jewish Bible says our crimes and sins are weighing us down. We're pining away because of them. How can we even stay alive? Ezekiel's asking a serious question, and Schaefer was asking a serious question. In light of what the Bible says... In light of who Christ is, in light of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the power that we are given in Christ by His Spirit, how should we live 
in this world. And I tell you, there's nothing in the Bible that says live by the definition of a political party. I like what E.V. Hill said. I sent it out in a tweet not long ago. He said, I'm not a right wing and I'm not a left wing. They're both attached to the same bird. And, but, and that bird is crooked. And it's set up to make men powerful, not God king. And we need to remember that. How should we live right now, then, in light of this, how should we live in light of the world in which we live to show the world that our minds have been renewed, that we have not embraced this mentality that is godless, that doesn't respond to these situations in a biblical way, how should we live? Secondly, we need to be alert to the truth of God's Word. We must be alert to the ways of God, but also to the Word of God. God tells us the truth about sin. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He tells us the truth about the world. He tells us the truth about life, and we compare where we are to the Word of God. And you can get any book you want to read, but don't ever read a book on top of your Bible. Put it under the authority of your Bible and read it that way. And see if it's in line with what Scripture says. Read through the grid of the mind of God when he gave us an infallible, inerrant word in the Scriptures. We are made in the image of God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we should be reminded that the image of God changes us. God has given us a mind to learn, to think, to respond, and to remember. God has given us a mind. Remember, animals act mostly by instinct. We act by intelligence. God's given us a mind to learn, to think, to respond, to remember. Let me just break a couple of those down. We are to think in the present, in today. Don't, don't wake up and go to work tomorrow or go wherever you're going tomorrow with your mind in neutral. We are to think in the present so that we don't say things like, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know, I just, I just my mind went out of gear for a minute. We are to remember what God has said. So how do I think right in the present? I remember what God said in his word. And so my point of decision making becomes what has God say, said in his word applies to how I think in the present. Then I need to imagine. I need to imagine what my life would be like. Now, I'm not talking about weird imagination. You can buy drugs that do that. But uh, I, I'm talking about imagine what my life would be like if I thought the way I was supposed to think. Imagine the difference that would have been in my life if I hadn't made some of the choices that I made. And then go back and remember that God has promised forgiveness and grace and mercy, and he does not hold our sins against us, but we can confess them, and he is faithful and just to forgive them. Now start thinking the right way and quit living like you can't change the way you live. You and I meet people every day 
that say, I just can't help the way I am. I can't change the way I am. I'm too far gone. God won't forgive me. God doesn't love me. I can't change. I've been this way for so long. That is a lie of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. Now, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Remember last week we talked about the fact that the mind is depraved, debased, dark, and dead. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Gentiles there is referring to the lost. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. What Paul is saying to the Ephesians, don't let any of that be true of you. What was true of the Gentiles, what is true of those that are living in this world, don't you let any of that be true in you. Don't you be one of those people that says, well, I, I can live however I want. You didn't learn Christ that way. Or somebody didn't tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, I can think anything I want. You didn't learn Christ that way. I can act any way I want to act. You didn't learn Christ that way. I can watch whatever I want to watch. I can do whatever I want to do. You didn't learn Christ that way. It, the question is, are you learning to be more and more conformed and transformed into the image of Christ, or are you more and more comfortable with being identified with the image of this lost, fallen world? We should be distinctive. We should be alert. And Paul is writing to warn them that we act according to how we think. That justifying sinful behavior is wrong. So when someone who says that they are a Christian, and this is important, someone who says that they are a Christian, I've said for decades, let me define Christian by New Testament terms, and most church members in most denominations across America do not fit the description of a Christian according to New Testament terms. So if somebody is saying, well, you know, I've, I'm just doing what I think, the ignorance is in them because of hardness, and they have become callous, giving themselves over to every sensuality and practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, let me tell you three things about that. First of all, they're lost. They're lost. You say, well, they got baptized when they were 12. They're lost. You can be baptized so every fish in the Flint River knows your name, but that doesn't mean you're saved. They're lost. They may have religion. They may be in church every week, but if I'm living according to sensuality and greediness, I'm lost. You say, what's sensuality? I don't have to explain it to you. What's greediness? Plate comes by, not one time you ever put anything in it. That's greediness. The gospel's free. But we are told to give of ourselves first. And if I don't give of my substance, I'm probably not giving of myself either. 
they're lost. Secondly, they're rebelling against the revealed will of God. They're rebelling against, so they're rebellious. Not only lost, but rebellious. Because this is a person who says, well, yeah, I, I know God, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then when I die, the preacher's going to say, boy, he, he, he loved God, and he loved his family, and he loved his church. He never was in church. Who are you talking about? Who in the world are you talking about? Listen, don't ask a preacher to preach you into heaven when you hadn't lived like heaven on earth. Thirdly, he's not in the Word. Paul reminded the Ephesians that holiness leads to happiness and the world can't make you happy. You say, well, the world makes me happy a lot of times. That's all temporary. You've got to get another fix. No matter what it is, whether it's drugs or alcohol or entertainment, whatever it is, you've got to get another fix. I can't tell you how many people on social media post things like this. I just finished binge-watching this series. Who's got the next series that I can watch? You ever binge-read the Bible? You'd hear a lot less profanity, see a lot less nudity, and hear a lot less of the world's philosophy if you just said, maybe I don't need to watch a series for a while, maybe I need to see what God says. So, well, I don't understand it. Well, then get a Bible you can understand. Get the living Bible. Get the message. Get something. I'll buy you one. But we get, we get caught up in this world and in this mind that, that says, I, I can just live without consequences. But let, let's look at salvation is a change of heart. Let me give you three things. First of all, the mind hears the word. The mind hears the word. The heart responds to the word, and the will repents of sin. So when I hear the word, and when I respond to the word, my first response is to repent. To repent of the sin that I've been ignoring or justifying in some way that keeps me from having the renewed mind that God wants me to have. Here's the result. Dark minds are enlightened... Corrupt minds are purified, and defiled minds are cleansed. Dark minds are enlightened, corrupt minds are purified, and defiled minds are cleansed. There's a quote in your notes from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Down toward the bottom of it says, If I find myself, this boy, this is so good, this guy died decades ago. If I find myself rather envying the people who are still back in the world, there is something radically wrong with my Christian life. If I still want to be like them, something's wrong with my life. Lastly, be alert to your resources in Christ. So let's talk about some practical things here. Some practical things. How can I be alert? Number one, put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6. Get dressed in your armor. I remember Warren Wiersbe told me every day when he woke up and he put his feet on the floor before he ever got up out of bed, he quoted Ephesians 6 on the armor that we have in God, and he said, I dressed myself in armor before I ever got dressed in the clothes that I would wear that day. I put the on armor on under my clothes. Put on the armor of God. Secondly, live in the fullness of the Spirit. 
Live in the fullness of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. What does the fullness of the Spirit mean? It means control. It's not about a feeling. It's about what controls you. And we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. What we put in our mind controls our thinking and our acting. Live in the fullness of the Spirit. Number three, spend time daily in the Word of God, Psalm 119. Verses 1 through 11. How do we keep ourselves pure? That's what the psalmist asks. And he gives all these different words about the Word of God, statutes and testimonies, so that we can keep ourselves pure and our lives pure. We listen to the Word, we learn from the Word, we live out the Word, and we look at what the Word says. But if I don't know my Bible, if I'm not getting to know my Bible, then it's hard for me to know what I need when I need to respond to the attacks on my mind of this world. One of my favorite statements I've read in recent weeks was about Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know the history of Corey Ten Boom, there's a movie that was done years ago called The Hiding Place. She and her family hid Jewish people and they were arrested. They ended up in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany and all of them died except for Corey. And Corey lived a long, long life. She has a tree planted in her name in Israel outside the Holocaust Museum. Uh, she died on her birthday, which the Jewish people believe that if you die on your birthday, you are doubly blessed. Uh, she and Schindler are the only two people that are there that are not Jewish that have trees planted in their honor. Corey Tim Boom was a godly woman. I mean a godly woman. She forgave the prison guard who beat her and beat her sister, ultimately resulting in her sister's death. Corrie Boom said, when I pray, sometimes I pray and I remember a promise that God has made in his word. And I get my Bible out and I open my Bible to that promise and I put my finger on that promise and I look up to God and say, God, read it for yourself. You know what she's doing? She's saying, God, I'm taking you at your word. This is what you said. Do it. She's taking God at his word. God, read it for yourself. Can you imagine that little lady, little old lady, white-haired lady with a hair in a bun, this little print dress? Can you imagine her pointing up in God and saying that? You know why? She was bold in her praying because she was knowledgeable in the Word. She prayed according to Scripture. Number four, let Christ capture your heart and mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let Christ capture your heart and mind. Let him take control. This ties right into the song we sang just before the message. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Second Corinthians 10. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. That word means campaign, or we do not strategize our lives according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Like the walls of Jericho, the walls have to come down of pride and false philosophy and self-justification. That's what Paul is saying. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What, what that word means is to hear under or to let the words and thoughts of the enemy fall on deaf ears because I'm bringing my thoughts captive to the word of Christ. So I'm letting the attacks of the enemy fall on deaf ears. And so when he whispers in my ear and when he pricks me and says, hey, what do you think about doing this? And what do you think about this? And, and why would you do that? When he pricks me, I, I just immediately know to say, because I've equipped myself, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to win today. You're not going to get a victory over me today. I'm going to bring my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Are you dead to sin? You see, the lost are dead in sin. The saved are supposed to be dead to the penalty and power of sin. Are, are you dead to sin? And let me, let me give you an illustration here. Jesus raised three people from the dead. Let's just think about who they were, and then I want to ask you a question. Jairus' daughter had just died. The son of the widow had been dead probably 12 to 15 hours. And Lazarus was in the grave four days. So Jairus' daughter, just dead. The son of the widow, 12 to 15 hours. Lazarus has been dead four days. Which of those three is the most dead? I mean, which of them's the most dead? They're all dead. What is different is there are degrees of decay. They're not degrees of dead. We're either dead or we're not. We're either dead in sin or we are dead to sin. The difference is in the degrees of decay. The religious moral person is dead in sin just like the person that's never darkened the door of a church or heard a sermon is dead in sin but there are different degrees of decay but they're still dead if you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ you're dead it's just the difference of degrees of decay. You can have a perfect attendance pen in Sunday school for the last 50 years. But if there's not been a life change, then you're dead. It's just your decay is not as obvious as the guy out there that's putting a needle in his arm and is shooting up all the time is going to dive an overdose or get shot in a gang shooting. You're both dead. It's just the degrees of decay. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formally, big word, lived, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So if you're dead to sin, then you need to inform your mind that you're free. Let me give you three areas and then an application. You're free from condemnation. You're free from condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you've got to ask yourself, are you dead in sin or are you dead to sin? You're free from separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You're free from judgment. God took your judgment at the cross. But that means if I'm free from condemnation and separation and judgment, it means I'm to live out the Christ life. I'm to live out the Christ life. Two quick Bible illustrations and then an invitation. Remember Lot? I, I, I wouldn't call Lot this, but the Bible says Lot was a righteous man. But given a choice, Lot chose Sodom, which means he chose himself. He looked, everything he had was a blessing because he was related to Abraham. And he looked and he said, I'm going to give my uncle who's given me everything I've got and is the reason I've been blessed. I'm going to give him second best and I'm going to go take the best because that looks good to me. Lust of the eyes. And he went towards Sodom. And Sodom was judged and he lost his wife. And his testimony is tainted for all time. All time. Can I tell you why? Because Lot stopped thinking right before he went wrong. He started thinking the wrong way before he ever set foot in Sodom. He started thinking about himself and what he wanted and what he deserved and what he should get before he ever started thinking, well, wait a minute, if I do that, maybe I'll lose the blessings of God. I can tell you, if we could talk to Lot right now, he would say, don't make the same decisions I made that you think success and money and power and fame and being able to sit at the gate of Sodom is a great thing because you could lose your family over it. What about the prodigal son? prodigal son's living in the father's house he's got every blessing he's got everything that anybody could ever imagine and he's he basically acts like a spoiled brat and he says i want everything i got dad i don't want to wait until you're dead to get my money i want to get my money now and so the father gives it he spends it all he goes to the foreign land he goes to a far country he starts eating pig slop and lying down with the pigs and he comes to his senses can i tell you something when he was sleeping in the comfort of his father's house he already had his heart on the far country because he didn't have his heart on a loving father. And I think I'm speaking to someone today and you're already thinking it's not worth it to serve Jesus, it's not worth it to follow Jesus, it's not worth it to be sold out, it's not worth it to be committed, and you're already in a far country although you're sitting in church. You see, a far country can be in the bed you sleep in. It can be in the house you live in. It can be in the car you drive. It can be in the choices that you make. And, then, and you're still keeping appearances up by coming to church. I would submit to you, you need to pray and ask yourself, are you dead to sin or are you dead in sin?
Today's the day. You see somebody, and I've, I've been here 30 years. You see somebody, and they're faithful, and they're involved, and they're committed, and all of a sudden, they start moving a little further out, and then they, they start sitting a little further back, and then they're out the door, and then they don't come at all, and then you never see them anymore, and you see them five years later. Can I tell you something? Every blowout begins with a slow leak. They don't just suddenly wake up one day and say, I'm just going to live like I want to live. Listen, there's been a slow leak in that tire for a long time. And we think, well, they just fell like yesterday. I mean, just like we heard yesterday that they walked away from their spouse, that they chose to sin, that they did this, that they did that. No, that's been coming a long, long time because there's been a slow leak in their devotion. I want to ask you to stand. Our men are here at the end of the aisles. If you need to trust Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to step out right now. Step out right now and find somebody and say, I need to give my heart to Christ today. You may need to come to this altar and pray today. You do what God tells you to do. As Mark's singing, you step out and you come right now. What could I say? And what could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So what could I say? Step out and come right now. Don't wait on anybody. Just step out and come. And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. I'll stand. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe the one who Stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all for the one who gave it all. I'll stand. Surrendered all I am is yours. Let's sing those words. Let's sing it. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. So what can I say? So what can I say? And what can I do?
but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Amen. You'll be seated for just a moment. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause for a great word this morning. So amazing to be able to come into place, to have an awesome time to be able to worship the Lord, to hear his word preached, and giving an opportunity for response. Uh, today, if you're here, and maybe God's been stirring in your heart, and uh, you didn't make the journey forward, it's not too late for you. Outside in our atrium, there's a next step uh, desk. We'd love for you to, to come and meet us. We have staff members that are there. Maybe God's been stirring in your heart salvation, uh, the need for salvation or baptism or some other next step in your journey with him. I encourage you to respond. Last week, we had a young man uh, come to Christ at that next step table. So let's give the Lord a round of applause for that. So I implore you again, come. Don't leave this property having a, a need and not bringing that to the Lord. Uh, in addition to that, throughout the week and, and just in and church life in general, maybe you are looking for ways to stay informed with Sherwood. There's a couple of things that I would encourage you with. Um, we have multiple social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or, or Twitter. That's ways that you can uh, hear stories about maybe mission trips or events that we have going on. Uh, events that we have going on also our website so you can find out age-graded information on that website uh, if you're new to Sherwood we want to say thank you so much for being here today um, we'd love to meet you at our welcome desk out in our atrium we have a gift for you and also our pastors are there uh, to tell you a little bit about the ministries that we have and to be able to greet you and say thank you for coming and worshiping with us now we are dismissed to Bible study we'll see you back tonight You stood before creation Eternity in your hand And then life led upon your promise My soul now to stand before my failure cross for my shame sin weighed upon your shoulder my soul now to sin 
So what could I say? What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Oh, so what could I say? What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. I'll stand so I So what could I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely. 